0: Excited today because um, you know this last week, actually for the last month or two, we've been talking about our legacy. You know, um, we did a whole series on legacy and a series on uh, what it looks like to live beyond yourself. You know, and uh, and talking about that for several weeks. And what is what is the legacy of our church going to be? How will our church live beyond? Itself. How can we as a community do things that will live far beyond and go far beyond what we could actually do just on our own? And so we, we talked about that for quite a, a, a length of time. And then we decided we were going to do something practical that we were going to give in a legacy offering. And, and it is one of, the pr- one of the practical expressions of trying to leave a legacy together. And I I always believe that everything we do when we teach the scriptures, when we talk about how we want to live, we've got to add a practical step. There has to be some really good pragmatic things that we apply the scriptures to the way we live all week long. And so we did that, and last week we we gave in a legacy offering. Now, as a pastor, you know, I've never done this before. This is our first time to kind of go through something like this. And we did this offering to kind of try to make a... A huge step, take a giant leap forward in the life of our church. You know, we have a vision for planting 10 churches in 10 years. There we, there's already three of them, there's seven more. Uh, we might get there by 10 years. We might not. It's okay if we don't, but we might actually plant more. Who knows? You don't know. That's what's so great about it, and so and so we have a we have a purpose. We have a plan. We we our influence in the region needs to continue to grow along with many other churches, and uh, and so, so this offering is kind of going towards that end. And so, um, I I was trying to be really, like, like let my expectations be low. <laughs> Right? Like, I thought, I, this is really what I thought. If I'm going to be really vulnerable and honest with you, I'd be like, like, I thought if we could get all three communities, and we could uh, give in an offering, and if we had, if we could reach $250,000, that that would be like, it's a quarter of a million dollars, people. That's a, that's a, that would be a great number. I I'm so thrilled to report to you that you gave, in the legacy offering, $380,000. You did that. You remember, all I did was ask you to pray. I said, I'm I'm not going to pressure you. I want you to pray, and then I want you to do what God tells you to do. And you did that. And I don't think you understand what that means to me. And I don't know if I can explain it to you, really. Because it's really, for me, it's really not about the money. It's about whether or not uh, you and me are together. It's whether or not we have decided that we're going to do something. You know, (laughs) pastors get up and they bang on the pulpit and they say stuff. And, and, and you know, there's this whole thing that goes on. But when a church decides not the pastor decides, when the church decides, okay, we're all in, that's when a difference can really be made, and I am so thrilled, and I want to say thank you. I want to say that what we are about to do, where we are about to go, is, um, a pretty exciting adventure, and, um, and, uh, you know, as as you know, we're, we're, we're going to do some really cool things with this money. One of the things we wanted to do was to give it away to teachers. And so each community, Austin, Kyle, and Lake Travis, all decided on a school that was near them that we're going to give a little Christmas bonus or a gift to all these teachers. All the custodians, all the administrative people, we're going to give something to them and you don 't know, know what 's going to happen i didn 't know what we we 'd be able to do and we 're still uh, we adopted Sunset Valley Elementary several years ago we 've been working with them on festivals and all kinds of fundraisers and things we 've been we 've been serving there for a while, and so that made sense for us. Kyle and Lake Travis both had to choose one and so Kyle already gave their gifts to their teachers. We still have to give ours. To Sunset Valley this week. I, I do it tomorrow at ten o'clock. I'll meet the principal. But I want you to read or to hear. I'll, I'm going to read this little, um, this little message we got from one of the teachers in Kyle, and uh, we have an insider. <laughs> so so one of the teachers goes to one chapel, Kyle, and so um so she writes this, and she says, I can't believe. Oh, I should tell you so we gave each teacher a little card that said how much we appreciate their contribution to our community and how it and of course and and we said some nice things in there and we want them to have a great christmas and we believe in them their work matters and we appreciate them that that was the message in the card and and you know teachers don't make enough money teachers all the teachers said amen yes (laughs) yes and so so they so we 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 wanted them to know we believe in them and appreciate what they contribute and what they do and I think this is the role of the body of Christ to lift up people who need encouragement in our culture and so um, anyway so we gave them a a card and there was a hundred and fifty dollars in each card so every card had that so here's what she said I can't believe what y'all did for the people at our school. She's from Texas. And <laughs> the principal handed all of us the envelopes. We, were counted, we counted down, and together we opened them. And my goodness, people were jumping, yelling with excitement, hugging each other and crying. Everyone is so very thankful and appreciative for this blessing. I heard people say they can buy Christmas presents now. This was so very thoughtful of all of you and we really, really appreciate it. One of my students, older brother, uh, 14 years old, who used to come to this school a few years back was recently diagnosed with cancer and their family's been struggling financially and we have been trying to raise money for them and today I saw teachers give the money y'all blessed us with to that family. So thank you for this blessing which really has ended up blessing so many families. Uh. Can you hand me a... I just... Oh, here I have tissue. Listen. Here's what you don't realize. You don't know what your obedience will actually do. You don't know how far your legacy will actually go. And this is a perfect illustration of it. None of us knew this other family that's facing a cancerous condition and is fighting for their lives and need help taking care of this kid. And what you did was give to that family and you had no idea. I think this is the point. When we decide we're going to obey God together, when we decide we're gonna pool our resources in a, in a way that accomplishes more than any of us could on our own, we have no idea what God actually has in store for us that he wants to accomplish. And I think that's the point of faith. That's the point of a legacy is he takes it beyond what we could imagine, what we could dream up. And I am so excited about that. So let's pray. Let's pray over those people, over the teachers who are going to receive this little. Now tomorrow, I'll give, we, we had a, uh one of the one of you donated a bunch of gifts candles and beautiful uh little um ho- candle holders and and so we wrapped them all up in presents so they're gonna get a gift and a card tomorrow at sunset valley at ten at ten o'clock we're gonna i'm gonna see the principal and drop off the gifts and then at three o'clock they're gonna have a big staff meeting and so uh let's pray for all those teachers let's pray for uh that family and let and let's pray for every person who gave in this legacy offering. Father, we just come to you and we thank you for your desires are so much greater than ours, that you have so many more things you'd like for us to be involved in. And Lord, we just wanna continue to say yes. Lord, we are so thankful for what you've given us and we wanna be the kind of people that are generous with others. And so I pray that you'd bless every person who went through the process of wrestling every person that wrestled through what they should give and then was willing to give. And I pray you'd reward them and encourage them and bless them, every one of them. And then, Lord, we pray for these teachers that are gonna receive just one little practical, practical way that the love of Jesus can be shared and that they are appreciated. And so uh, we pray over them. We pray over their families. We pray that you'd reveal yourself to them because of this action of generosity. We pray that you would take it far beyond. And we pray, Lord, that you would do profound things in their lives that we couldn't do. Because we're not connected to them until we gave them a gift. But now you're doing something. And so we pray for this family, this 14-year-old uh, child who has cancer, and we pray, Lord, that you would heal heal them we, Lord, we pray that you would bless that family, we pray that you would be there in the midst of their dark night, and we pray, Lord, that you would surround them, and you would show who you are to them. Lord, would you heal them and let your glory be seen and shown. We pray this in the name of Jesus because we believe it's possible. And we thank you for all that you will do to take our church beyond where we can see it, that you can lead us into the next season that's so exciting and so thrilling. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good job, One Chapel. Way to go. It's awesome. you know, uh, it's the Christmas season, and we're, we're kind of talking about the Christmas story over the next few weeks, and of course, on Christmas Eve. Um, but all over the nation uh, this week, there are Christmas stories being told. I, I decided to sit today because I'm going to tell you a little bit more of a story, and we're going to read several scriptures, and we're just going to talk about the Christmas story and cha- be challenged by it. But all over, the, all over the country this week, there will be little children, trying to act out the story in hand-sewn sheets and bathrobes. And they'll be like, have little canes, and it'll be like a shepherd's crook, and they'll be trying to figure out how to tell the story of the first Christmas. And so often when you try to tell the story, you just, it, something goes wrong. You ever seen it? I'm going to show you a little story. I'm going to show you a little, little picture of it going terribly wrong when one of the... Uh, sheep tries to steal the baby Jesus. Check this out. You see the little sheep? She's on the right hand side trying to take the blanket. Where's Jesus? She finds Jesus. (laughs) She's got him. (laughs) She wants to swaddle him. (laughs) Yes. So cute. Mary doesn't know what to do. Oh, Jesus is getting dizzy. Tries to take Jesus away. Taking control. Put him back. Put him back in the manger. No! Jesus is hurting. They're pulling on him. The sheep wins. She wants Jesus that bad. But Mary, she's having none of it. Watch this. Here comes the headlock. Oh, yeah. Headlock down. Give me the baby Jesus. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> Today, I want to talk to you about the manger. Today, I want to talk to you about what it represents, the picture of it. I, I want to talk to you about the method of the manger, the method We're going to start in Luke chapter 2, and um, we're going to tell the story of Christmas here, and I'm going to read it in the NIV version, and and let's pray. Father, would you just open this story to us? Lord, explain your purpose and your plan in a way we haven't understood it. In Jesus' name, amen. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire all these things in her heart, and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had, the things they had see, heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Now, no matter how many times you've heard that, occasionally you can become numb to the miraculous nature of the story. Or even the nuances of what it is. Because it is an incredible story. The wonder and majesty of this spectacle of angelic hosts praising God. And directing the shepherds to to see this Messiah who had been long promised. Luke mentions one thing in this epic drama that we want to zero in on. He mentions the word manger. He mentions the word manger. It is central to the drama because it is it seems so unlikely. It is the part of the upside-down kingdom that Jesus himself talks about that God is trying to communicate. It is the wrong piece of furniture. It is in the wrong timing. It is the wrong place for someone to be born who was called Savior, Lord, and King. And so the manger is this centerpiece where God is sending His Son into the world. But it's not because it was a feeding trough or not because it was, you know, really messy, although there's been lots of great messages preached on those two ideas, right? But it was because it was a signpost it was a sign for the shepherds. You will find the baby, what, wrapped in swaddling clothes, if you know the King James Version. I don't know what, exactly what swaddling is, but something that swaddles Jesus. You'll find the baby, I get it. will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. It was the sign to the shepherds that this is who this child was. It was a sign that he was the Messiah. Might have been other babies born in Bethlehem that night. The one wrapped in, in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, that was the one the angels were singing about. Now, when you think about this, everyone seems to agree that the message never changes, but the methods always do. You ever heard something like that? The message needs to remain, the method of the message, you know, that, that that can change depending on the culture and the context. And all. But what if, what if the method is the message? What if the, the method Jesus is using is so critical, so important, we don't want to miss it? The manger points to a person whose kingdom was coming and describes the way in which it was coming. Not with control or tyranny or the force of law, but with vulnerability, simplicity, and innocence. The innocence of a newborn baby. We have a family dog. Her name is Kika. We're about to experience her third Christmas together, I think, with us. And whenever I, whenever we try to get Kika to go get something or point at something, she does this funny thing. You'll like point, Kika, go get it. And she always looks right at my finger. (laughs) She wants to know if I have some goodie in here that she can have. She points at my finger. Or she points at my finger. <laughs> I'm pointing at something, she looks at my finger. And as she looks, I'm trying like, no, it's over there, it's over there. I think sometimes this is what God is trying to do with us, with the Scripture. Sometimes we're like, we get fixated on something in the Scripture, and He's trying to point us to something else. He's trying to help us understand His way. He's trying to help us understand His character. He's trying to help us understand His nature. And so today, I I want us to really not just look at the manger, but I want us to look at what J- Jesus meant by coming in a manger. I want to look at what God intended to say by bringing him in a manger. Mary and Joseph, of course, had traveled quite a distance, Um They were likely tired from the journey. There was no room for them to stay. And so they ended up in this stable of sorts. It could have been a a first floor uh, uh, in a residence where all the animals would stay. It could have been a little cave dwelling. It it probably wasn't a little creche like you see in your um, nativity scene. But but it was someplace to stay that they hadn't planned on. And, And you can imagine... Mary, nine months pregnant, and she's traveling. I mean, every child child book I've ever seen indicates she was on the donkey. Joseph is walking. If you've never traveled with a pregnant woman, it is, um, I have, I have traveled with a pregnant woman, and it is incredibly uncomfortable, but not just for her, (laughs) It's incredibly uncomfortable for her, but it's—it is it, the whole process is is uncomfortable, and and they land here and they end up in this place and here they're having this baby in a dirty manger and where cows and sheep are there trying to steal it, and <laughs> you could imagine that Mary might have been recalling the night the angel appeared to her and said, you are blessed, and highly favored, and you will have a son, and then she asked how that would happen, and he said, by the Holy Spirit, and he's, she's like, what is that, and then, and then, but she said, her, her response to the angel was, be it unto me as you have said, I wonder if she recalled it that night, as the baby was being born, and thinking to herself, self, I thought this was supposed to be the messiah i'm th- i'm i'm supposed to be blessed and highly favored this doesn't feel very blessed and highly favored to me. Imagine her and joseph 's surprise when the uh, shepherds come to the door uh, and they and and they find this little baby. If you understand the shepherds, you understand these are men of the field and they smell like it they are not skilled they are certainly not part of the intellectual class you're they're 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 not part of the mainstream of of bethlehem or of jerusalem they live out outside of the city and and there's a powerful idea here that the they are the first ones to witness the incredible story of the messiah indeed they were the ones given the responsibility to take the message and to share it wherever they went That job was given to lowly shepherds. God doesn't really seem to be looking for ability in this story. He's looking for availability. But you have to see the story in context. You have to see what's behind this little picture to really understand the manger. And what was happening is Luke is painting Dr. Luke, he's written this story. He traveled with the Apostle Paul. He went on several missionary journeys. He wrote this gospel that we have in our scriptures, and he's painting a picture for us in his writing where the manger represents a moment in history when Augustus Caesar, the adopted son of Julius Caesar, is at the height of his power. The great... Brilliant theologian, N.T. Wright, he explains it this way. He became the sole ruler of the Roman world after a bloody civil war in which he overpowered all rival claimants. And the last to be destroyed was the famous Mark Antony, who committed suicide not long after his defeat at the Battle of Actium in 31 B.C. Augustus turned the great Roman Republic into an empire. With himself at the head, he proclaimed that he had brought justice and peace to the whole world. And declaring his dead adoptive father to be divine, he styled himself as a son of God. Poets wrote songs about the new era that had begun. Historians told the long story of Rome's rise to greatness, reaching its climax, obviously, with Augustus himself. Augustus, people said, was the savior of the world. He was its king, its lord. Increasingly in the eastern parts of the empire, people worshiped him too as a god. They have to see what Luke is doing, because meanwhile, far away, on the same eastern front, a boy who was born would be within within a generation of him being born into the world, he would be hailed as the son of God. That's what was happening at the manger. His followers would speak of him as Savior and Lord. Jesus's arrival, his followers thought, had brought true justice and true peace into the world. Jesus never stood before a Roman emperor, but at the climax of Luke's gospel, he stood before his representative, the governor Pontius Pilate. Luke certainly has this scene in mind as he tells his tale how the emperor in Rome decides to take a census of the whole known world and all of the Roman domain and how this census brings Jesus to be born in this little town that is actually linked with King David himself. So you have to see the context. Luke has these ideas in mind. He's trying to paint a picture. He writes to people who have, have been educated, who were intelligent, who, had, who were prosperous, and they were inquiring. But he's painting this particular picture. And you have to see the whole picture. You have to see the context to understand this picture. Here it is. The birth of Jesus is the beginning of a confrontation between the kingdom of God in all its apparent weakness, insignificance, and vulnerability, and the kingdoms of this world. That's what Luke is saying. He's saying there's something that is happening here that is going to change the world as we know it, but it's going to bring about a conflict, a confrontation between two kingdoms. And those two kingdoms, we have to understand it, that that as we see this picture, something has to stick out between the tyrannical ruler who oversees his domain and calls himself a god and the son of the living God who comes into the picture in a lowly manger. What does that mean? What does it mean for how we live? What does it mean for how we see God's story? I think far too often we miss it. Revelation eleven fifteen 15 quotes this idea. The angels are declaring it. In this picture of the heavenly future, it's, uh, it, they say the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. When I say it, most of you can hear Handel's Messiah. And he shall reign forever and ever. It's all based on this verse. <laughs> that was pretty good, wasn't it? <laughs> Here's what you have to see. The, the manger stands in stark contrast Between the way the world around us works and the way of God's grace-filled, loving kingdom works. Consider the story of Herod as more context. Captured, written down for us in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verse 1. He says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him and when he called when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law he asked them where the messiah was to be born and in bethlehem in judea they replied for this is what the prophet has written and here he proclaims what the prophet micah several hundred years earlier has declared ...about the coming Messiah. It says, "...but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Hundreds of prophecies like that point to the coming of the Messiah that were fulfilled in Jesus. Verse 7 says, "...then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, "...go and search carefully for the child." And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. I think a question we have to ask when we read that passage is, why was Herod afraid? Why did he want the Christ child? And he, he indicated he was going to worship him. But the truth is, if you continue reading the story, he was concerned about his own power. He was worried about his power. That's why all, all, King Herod was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. They were concerned about the balance of power and they wanted to keep their power. And so King Herod ultimately sends his military in to kill all the babies under two years old in Bethlehem. He does this because he's committed to his, the control of his own power. He does this because he's fearful that it's going to be taken away from him. He does this. He uses intrigue, deception, lying, intimidation. He manipulates the process to try to get his way. He wants to consume all that he has. He wants to make sure that he continues to gain power. This is the world in which we live. People who can so concerned about what they have that they hold on to it tightly. They hold on to their careers. They hold on to their friendships, their relationships. They hold it all so tightly that many of them start choking it, killing it. They hold on to everything that they can and they they can't seem to get enough, which is why they just need to consume more and they need to get more and more needs to be attached to them and they want to control more. They want to control the circumstances in their lives. They want to control everything around them. They want to unleash a tyranny of their own will into the circumstances of their lives. Jesus comes in stark contrast to that control that tyranny as a baby Herod never actually found Jesus in the midst of all that murdering God's plan proceeded which is what happens in our world today God's plan and purpose prevails but if we're not careful we begin to live like the others who inhabit this world with us and we live in a way where we want to control everything and why wouldn't we i mean we live in a a really con- we live in a convenience oriented society everything is marketed to us every all of our social media is curated to bring to us the people that we agree with and like and we don't have to deal with anything uncomfortable there's it's it's like this 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 whole world that we live in sometimes we start functioning according to the patterns of this world instead of the patterns of Jesus. We have to ask ourselves, What does this manger mean? What is this method? When you see the manger on a card or in a church, don't stop at the crib. Go past it and see what. What God is doing. See what it's pointing to. It's pointing to the explosive truth that the baby lying there is already being spoken of as the true king of the world. And the rest of the story of Luke's gospel begins to unfold. And again, he writes it in the book of Acts, and he begins to describe how God's kingdom comes. The manger is significant because it shapes our worldview. It shapes our worldview. It shapes how we see the world. It shapes how God comes into our world. It reveals the journey of two young people that are trying to figure out how God is working and what he's doing and how to obey him, and it reveals the way we must live in the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The manger reminds us of the way that the kingdom of God comes to us. It comes to us in humility, It comes to us in simplicity. It comes to us in vulnerability. And it comes to us in innocence. The innocence of a baby. Our society is not consumed by simplicity. It's consumed by complexity. We're impressed by it. We want to be as complex as possible. We want to understand that everything is complex and go to great lengths to try to help everyone understand how complex our lives are. We look to experts for everything. No, We barely know how to do anything anymore. <laughs> Humility, we all wrestle with an arrogance about how much we can control our lives. You think about the culture that we live in. We want vulnerability, but we only want it with the specific people that we choose to let in. See, God comes to us in vulnerability and teaches us that we have to come to others with that same vulnerability. He comes to us in innocence and he teaches us we have to live in the innocence that brings life instead of the expertise that is the knowledge of good and evil that can kill you. Am I saying we shouldn't be smart? No, but the way of the kingdom is different than the way of the world. Am I saying we shouldn't study or we shouldn't try to uh, make an investment in our lives or our, our future? No, I'm not saying any of those things, but the way we do it, whether we climb on top of people and leave them in the dust on our way and climbing the career ladder matters. If you call yourself a Christian, you can never function that way. It's quite different between the way our culture tends to function, where there's a lot of manipulation, a lot of control, marketing, consumption. We're consuming everything. There's everybody's trying to find their power, and there's corruption that reigns in every in every um, corporate entity, and every political entity, <laughs> and in and in every family entity. There, there's all this that, that functions. And I, what I want to ask you today is can we actually gravitate to the message and the method of the manger? What does that look like? I'm so glad you asked. What did the angel say? I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Not just some people, but all people glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace everybody say peace. the way of the kingdom of God is peace it's joy it's peace it's goodwill. I looked up this word goodwill and we, I looked up some some um, synonyms for it here it is kindness, friendliness, favor helpfulness, benevolence, generosity, concern, willingness care and support. these are good. Words that describe how the kingdom of God works. The Apostle Paul sort of emphasizes this in Romans 14 when he says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The prophetic voice of Isaiah, one of the prophets in the Old Testament, he says it in chapter 9, verse 6. He says, For to us a child is born to us a son is given and the government will rest on his shoulders do you do you notice the contrast between the child and a government in other words a child will lead the government it and on one level it like doesn't seem right and then you realize what he's talking about he's talking about a way a way of living a way of acting, a way of thinking about how life really is. It is the very thing that Jesus began to explain to all the people on that mountainside the day he launched into the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. It's our last scripture together today, and I want you to hear it, and I want you to hear it with new ears. I want you to hear it with a heart that understands that what we're trying to do to influence our world is to live out the values and the ways of the kingdom of God. Here they are. Blessed are the poor in spirit, or those who understand how spiritually poor they really are and how much they need God. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn and grieve, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Not the peacekeepers but the peacemakers. Blessed are you when Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. Shined a light into a place, and will continue to shine light into a place where there is darkness. But we have to live this out in our neighborhoods and in our in our uh, jobs and and in our families. And we have to understand there's a way in which Jesus comes that should saturate all the, of the way that we live our life. I want you to just pause for a moment right here and I want you to close your eyes I want you to let God speak to you about how you live your life and I'm going to ask you some questions, just close your eyes for a moment everybody all around the room how often are you being trapped in the ways of the world that you're living in I want you to think about the way you think, the way you act the way you share or don't share The way you live, the, the way you love, the way you become the light of God. Which kingdom are you living in? Are you living in anxiety and fear? Do you live in the kingdom where you have to control everything? Do you live in the kingdom where you have to make sure that you have the power? and not someone else? Are you distracted? Do you, are you just busy? Are you wearied by the routine of your life and you're missing the meaning? Are you missing the method of this manger? Are you saddened and burdened by the, your own failures or your own foolishness? Are you trying so hard to deal with everything in your life that you're losing your life? I have really good news for you today if if you answered yes to any of that if you're if you're struggling jesus came into this world in humility simplicity vulnerability and innocence and you and i come to him the same way he has come to you in this way and now all you have to do is humble yourself here today all you have to do is be vulnerable to him today let let him in let him see you've been stressed out pressured walking through life thinking you got a controller just be just open it up to him and in simplicity honesty innocence just let him have his way because <laughs> it's his way that is so important See cuz you want to you want to take this and you want to live this out because it is the way of the kingdom. You want to live in this way with others because they will see a difference in you. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to come to this table. And it is the table set by the Lord Jesus himself because he wasn't just a baby, he grew up to become a man and he did miracles and he, and he did incredible things to usher in the age of the kingdom of God and to show us what God was really like and then he died on a cross taking our sins and all of our mistakes upon himself. He carried them so that you could be free of them and that's what this table represents. So would you come here to this table? and receive what he has for you? Would you exchange what, what you've been carrying around and give it to him and then let him give his grace and his goodness? Would you humbly come and let him fill you with his humility? See, because here's what I'm not asking you to do. I'm not asking you to do better. I'm not asking you to do a better job. I'm not asking you to work more, to make your skill higher in how you are generous. That's, that's not what this is. The gospel is about surrendering to Jesus and letting Him come and make His home in you, in your life. And then you begin to reflect His way. He not only comes and gives you uh, uh, salvation, but He comes and gives you His Holy Spirit who starts to work in you. And, he's, and that Holy Spirit starts to lead you and guide you in the way of peace. And, joy and righteousness and, and he begins to lead you into serving others and lead you in, in the way of, of living your life so that others will see your good works and glorify God. Come to this table now and exchange what you have for what he has and receive his grace. Father, we thank you for all that you're speaking to us now and we ask you to lead us now, speak to us, give us understanding, and help us to find you in these moments in the manger, in Jesus' name, amen.